The Apostle Paul is sometimes presented as an austere, judgmental, anti-woman, religious rigorist. In fact, he had never been to the church in Rome, but as we look with our study leader Dave Wurtzen at the beginning verse of Romans chapter 16, Paul reveals that he already knows personally many who are meeting in house churches around the city. He closes his most thorough theological presentation, defining the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it should mean in our lives, by reeling off a long list of personal greetings. If you haven't figured it out yet, this is the weekend of the Samsung 500. It powers up at the Texas Motor Speedway. There are two tracks where Jeff Gordon has never won He's never won a Sprint Cup victory, and Texas is one of them. Could this be the day? If you're into a race car in the Speedway and NASCAR, you're not here this morning. So none of you know what I'm talking about. But I want you to know if you come, like when we approach Midway from the west, you fly right over this gigantic stadium. I mean, it's incredible. How many of you have ever seen it? I mean, it just stretches out there a little bit north of Fort Worth. Thousands of people can be there. There's, there's a gigantic parking lot. There's another track, a smaller track. They only use it, what is it, about two times a year. And you thought churches spending money, you know. But why do they do that? Do you realize that NASCAR has become the largest spectator sport there is in the United States? My own little brother, Ryan, like, I just have to confess, like, I am not into the great standards, like right now, there's a, uh, there's a tremendous competition going on. Let me just read off some of the names. Jeff Burton, Kevin Harvick, Greg Biffle, Dale Earhart Jr. This could be the day that Dale Earhart Jr., he's got the pole position. And it's a really exciting thing if you're into NASCAR. On the ABC News last night, they had these little kids, and this, this girl comes, I'm really a teenager. She says, I'm here because I like the roar. And then another girl, of all things, says, man, I'm here because I like the crashes. Tell me if you saw the crash, you know, early in the warm-up for it. I think it was Friday or so. One of the guys lost it. He's a younger driver. He overcorrected at 187 miles an hour. You overcorrect, it means your car does about 20 flips in a row. His car disintegrates. It hits the wall. It flips about three times, worse than barefoot skiing. His, his car busts into flames. And Mary's mom says, you know, when's the funeral going to be? I said, Mom, he he just gave an interview. And he's nonchalantly saying, I did overcorrect, and I kept my eyes open as we're flipping 150 times. And that was kind of a close one. Isn't it amazing about the cage they have around them? That's what NASCAR is about. But you know that NASCAR is not just about the roar. My brother Ron actually went and bought a travel trailer, He uses it about twice a year. One of his big things is the Bristol race in Tennessee. He gets his buddies. I challenge you men to go on a men's retreat. My brother Ron gets his close friends, and they go NASCAR racing. They drive all the way from Athens, Georgia, where he lives. They go to Bristol, and they camp out. How many of you have noticed that all this week, I mean, the weather report's coming in. Tornadoes are crashing against Fort Worth, or they're a potential of it. You know, our typical weather forecast, you know, the, uh, the uh, 
the Yankees, you know, General Grant's army is just over the Red River border and devastating horror is going to come upon our Dallas-Fort Worth area. They ask these NASCAR people, they're going, who cares? You know, man, we're, we're here. Why are they there? You know why they're there? Because there's a great vacuum in our culture. I'm going to tell you what that vacuum is. There was a day when every one of you would know who your next door neighbor was. You would not only know who your next door neighbor was, but you would know every person on your block. In fact, when I first came to Midlothian, when I drove up 67, and you've heard me share this in the past, Ken Thompson, who's my neighbor, would name everybody that lived in the houses going up towards Cedar Hill, the houses in Cedar Hill, on into Duncanville. That's one of the things I really learned when I first moved to Midlothian. Don't ever say anything bad about anybody because they're kissing cousins. <laughs> I would drive all the way over to Lancaster to play church softball. And I would be on the bench and I'd say to like Wayne Woodard, I'd say, Wayne, you know, man, their shortstop looks pretty hot. And he's pretty good. You know, what's the, what's the scouting report on him? And Wayne would say, oh, when I, when I was playing against him, when I, we were five years of age, he would have to have snotty nose constantly. And when we were 10, he broke his leg and won the game. I mean, Wayne would give me a running history of all these relationships he had. You know why NASCAR is powerful? Because there's a vacuum in our culture. There was a day when we all knew our neighbors. We all had extended families. But now we're in a day where Americans move all over the United States. We don't build front porches anymore. We build back porches. Like if I were to ask you, how many of you have a large front porch that you spend a lot of time on? Hardly any of you do. But you have large, if I were to ask you, how many of you have built large treated decks? And the way your deck is, you have a beautiful barbecue, and then you do a really interesting thing. You build a high wall around it. Now, this isn't so much true in Midlothian, but it's really true when I speak to my brothers and sisters up in Plano or Richardson or Frisco. They build on a postage stamp. You could cut the front lawn with a pair of scissors. You're that close to your neighbor, but they build gigantic eight-foot, because there's not, in our church, we have people that look over eight-foot fences, but most church families don't have people that big. Why do you do that? Because you're moving away from relationships. Some of you this morning have closer relationships with the major actors and actresses on ER than you do with your neighbors. Some of you, when you watch Entertainment Tonight, you have a running commentary of all the interrelationships, but you're not involved at all in a small group of brothers and sisters. Now, rather than you feeling guilty... What I want you to do is to recognize the vacuum that's in your life. What makes NASCAR fly is not the roar. It's not the crash. It's the celebrating of connecting. People go because it's like a gigantic, old-fashioned, area-wide fair. And it's the old-fashioned kind of fair. Not like we go to the Texas State Fair where you just milling crowds. You don't know each other. If you go to a NASCAR race, like my brother, they trail each other around the country and they get to know each other and they cook together and they talk together and they even have bunk, you know, these little cots and people are sleeping while they're, and they just camp out together. 
You know where all of that started? Believers like yourself in the pioneer days would be struggling on the outskirts of civilization, and they would get hungry for relationships. So throughout Kentucky, as they were moving west, they would have large camp meetings, and they would come in their wagons, and they would camp out for days, and they would learn the Word of God together. They would hear evangelistic message, and people would be saved in other words, what I want you to know is that this whole movement towards camping out and having a big celebration in the history of our country, a lot of it flows from the power of the Spirit working in people. Now, you say, Dave, what does it have to do with the book of Romans? The Apostle Paul often comes across in the popular mind as I interact with believers and, and even with unbelievers that study about Paul in the ancient world, they think of Paul as being like a cold, sinister, kind of a distant theologian, very intellectual. You don't think of him being the life of the party. If you're a woman here this morning and you're into the flow of our culture, our culture has undergone, undergone tremendous social changes. Part of the conflict between Islam and the West is over the role of women. So some of you as women, there's a deep passion in your heart because you felt that you've been held down, that opportunities were denied you. And so as a woman, you're really into, I want positions. I want titles. In fact, the chapter that I'm going to talk to you about today is a chapter that was used, for example, by Fiorenza, who is a strong uh, feminist theologian. She'll use the pattern I did today to tell all of you ladies that we've got it all wrong. That there were men in the early church and then developing through the Middle Ages that were very uh, afraid of you and they held you down. And so this pattern will be used as a liberation passage for women. And the idea is you need to go for it. You need to be apostles. You need to be pastor teachers. You need to become, you know, leaders in the church. And what I want to share with you is that, is that this is the chapter of the Apostle Paul. And what I want to share with you is the Apostle Paul who said, wives, obey your husband. It, that needs to be balanced with what he's going to say in Romans 16. Or as a husband, you're going to miss it. As a wife, you're going to miss it. Paul also is a man that says, let a woman not teach a man. And yet we're going to have in this chapter where he reams off one woman after another that's working hard among, with him in the ministry. What you all need to do and what I need to do, and all of you men in the audience need to listen really carefully because it relates to how you, you relate to your wife. We all need, and the ladies need to listen, because what we're going to find out is that the first century, unlike the first century believers, unlike what we're into, we are into my self-fulfillment. As I look back over my life, what's important in our culture is that I've reached my potential, that I've been able to live this meaningful life, which is defined by my desires and my giftedness and what I think I should get out of life. From Oprah to what you hear on countless programs from Barbara Walters, everybody else, Barbara just did a program, you can now self-fulfill yourself to your 120 the great idea was here's 105-year-old people that are still fulfilling themselves. And what I want you to know, there's a good in that. We're going to learn about giftedness. 
But the Apostle Paul is going to teach us today about what it really means to be in the body of Christ. And he focuses, instead of focusing on our in, internal drives and our internal desires, he focuses on a blended family of brothers and sisters who all realize each other's giftedness. And they're not into titles. In fact, it's really hard to nail down titles in the first century church. But they're really into serving Jesus, working hard. Turn to Romans chapter 16. Let's look at what I'm talking about. The Apostle Paul, first of all, talks about a dear woman named Phoebe. Anybody ever heard of Phoebe? Phoebe in Romans 16 is a patroness for Jesus. And if you look at Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, we're introduced to Phoebe. We don't know a lot about her, but man alive, what Paul does at the end of this book uh, really fill us in. By the way, for Phoebe is from the Roman Greek world of mythology. So one of the things you can probably figure it out is Jewish parents didn't usually name their kid after a Roman Greek mythological god. So Phoebe's probably Gentile. Phoebe's probably this dear girl. By the way, it shows you what Jesus can do. You can even be named Phoebe. And if you're living in a community of faith, you shouldn't tell Phoebe, change your name. It's got all those demonic, evil connotations to it. Jesus overcomes that. Jesus is bigger than that. You can even be named Phoebe. And you're not a pagan anymore. You don't worship mythology anymore. You worship Jesus. And let's see what God can do with, with Phoebe. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. The word commend means I, wanna, I want you to welcome the, them. I want you to stand with them. This word literally means to stand with them. When you go into a new group, Phoebe is being sent to the church of Rome. When you're coming to a new group, all of you need commendation from others. And one of the things that we want to develop in Midlothian Bible Church is we want to develop that as soon as you see something new, someone, someone that you don't know, that you reach out to them and you stand with them. We need to do that in our children's work. We need to do that in our middle school, high school, all the way into adults, every small group. You need to be looking for the person that you need to stand with. It's hard to move into a new group. The reason Paul says, I commend to you, Phoebe, is he realizes when Phoebe comes to Rome, in the first century, you couldn't just go to a Holiday Inn. You couldn't just go to Holiday Inn Express. In Rome, in the first century, when a woman walked into town, it was dangerous. The inns were places that you could get mugged. It was really important. She would have a letter. She carried a letter from Paul, and she would take it to brothers and sisters that Paul had given her the names, and that letter would say, this is the blessed sister Phoebe. Treat her like she's a member of your family. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing. Can we recreate that today? And you want to think of ways to do that. Look what he says. I commend you, my sister Phoebe. Now, what's her title? She's a servant of the church in Sancria. Sancria is the port city, the eastern port city in Corinth. Corinth lives on a little bit of land, and you can go east and you can go west. Mary and I have actually stood right there, and they built a canal now, so you don't have to go all the way around Greece. You can cut right through the middle of it. This is a little bit of land, but in the ancient world, they didn't have that canal. They had Sancria in the east, so you would go to Rome from Sancria, or you could have another port on the other side to the west, and you could go towards Jerusalem. 
It's a port city. What happens in port cities? Lots of people coming through. So one of the things I know about Phoebe is that she was an outreaching person that she is serving. It says here that she is a servant of the church in Sincrea. Now, here's one of the big first big debates. The word in Greek for servant is diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon. And in English, deacon means power person in the church, able to go to business meetings, able to make decisions, right? They have influence. They have title. Should we have deaconesses in the church? And that raises, those of you that are more traditional, they say, no, that would be horrible. Let not a woman exert authority over a man. No, the title would be destructive. Those of you that are very much into, no, we need to affirm the women. We're in a new day. We're not living under slavery anymore. It's time for liberation. And you're just as hot the other way. And then we get into bricks. There's whole church families that are being blown apart by should we let women do this? Should we let women do this? Should we deny them this? Should we deny them that? Be honest with you, I was raised in a culture where the women don't say a word sometimes. Now, my mom said lots of words. <laughs> but as that culture has developed, I've actually been in some churches where I've eaten with a pastor and his wife when the meal is done, and the woman never says a word. I've experienced that in other parts of the world. In Poland, for example, it's traditional. The women are very silent and they're very distant. And men sit down and eat. And all the men said, you're too scared. And what I want you to know is those are very powerful forces. Some of you ladies, even as I speak to you now, some of you are saying, man, there's going to be a new day. And I'm going to get that position. And when this church really gets its act together, we're going to really do something. What I want to share with you, that both on the man's side and the woman's side, if you're after a title, if you're after a position, you're following the wrong Savior. And so am I. Because what I notice as I go through the New Testament, the New Testament, it's really, really hard. Like, to be honest with you, interpreting this passage, reading the Greek word, this word basically means a household slave that toils for their master. And what I can say about this is I can say that as the second century developed, there was an official group of ladies some of them were older ladies, like I talked about in First Timothy, that had become widows, that were supported by the church, and they became the diaconate, the, the deaconesses. They met the needs of the poor. They met the needs of those that were sick. As the traditions developed over the centuries, it even developed into a whole group of women that never married, which is where we stepped way beyond, because the Apostle Paul says that we should never forbid to marry. I want you to know that there's a lot of tradition, and as a Bible church, we're influenced by those traditions as well. What this text says about Phoebe is, Phoebe is she was a servant and a slave to her Jesus, and she poured herself out in giving to others. I want to say to every woman in this room, we desperately need, in Midlothian Bible Church, Phoebe's. 
We have a lot of Phoebes, and I want to challenge every one of you ladies. You are in a family where we want to bless the Phoebes. We want to challenge you. We want you to fly for Jesus. We want you to do all that the Lord Jesus is calling you to do. And as men, we want to be focused on being a diakonos, a servant, a slave for Jesus. And we want all of you ladies to join us in that. And as our church family grows and as we begin to think more in terms of physical structures, let's not become hung up in what you call me. To be honest with you, I could care less what you call me. I do, probably some of you don't, I do have an earned doctorate degree. Big deal. All that that means is, by God's grace and a lot of your prayers, that the Lord helped me to hone out some gifts. In the final two, what's important on the Memphis basketball team, what's important on the Kansas basketball team if a six-foot, one-inch guard comes in to the team meeting today and says, Coach, I don't like the title guard anymore. I'm six-foot-one. For the big game Monday night, I am, want the title power forward. And in the big game tomorrow night at six-foot-one, with lightning speed, Weighing, instead of 275 pounds, six foot eight, I am six foot one, weighing 185 pounds. Tomorrow night, I'm playing power forward because I want the title. You know what the coach is going to say? You've been drinking and you're off the team. Because I got news for you. I can take the title power forward from now till eternity. And I ain't going to play power forward because I don't have the gift for it. Brothers and sisters, when life gets really serious, when we're really threatened, when lives are really on the line, everybody forgets what the titles are. And they remember what the gifts are, what the abilities are. And we've got to work together. And that's what this dear lady Phoebe did. And Paul, I want you to know, is honoring her. He wants her treated as a sister. He wants her treated with great welcome because she has slated aside to ask you to receive from the Lord. She is worthy of the saints. And I want to say to all of you ladies, the Lord Jesus is blessing you today, saying you're worthy of the saints. I want you to give her help. It's very possible she was facing some kind of a lawsuit as a powerful business lady that had resources and she has to go to Rome to get it straightened out. It says she's been a powerful help and she's been a great help to many people including me. That's what I would pray that we'll be able to put over every one of your lives. As you live your life, you are the servant of Jesus. You have been a great help in serving many people in the Lord Jesus. She has been a great help. And in some of the texts read that she has been a patron, a patroness. And the idea there is from the first century in Jesus's ministry, there were a group of women that had great resources by God's grace he had blessed them with finances. And they became like a patroness. Just like you have patrons in the arts, down to the centuries, Jesus has used patrons for his cause. And I want you with the church family to recognize, like, for example, Mary and I have a very dear friend named Joan and Andy Horner. Joan Horner was a Canadian girl that came to the United States with nothing. 
She got hooked up with Mary Crowley that you all know as Texans from the home interior days. She was Mary's, like her servant in waiting, you might say. Flew all over the world with Mary. And Mary mentored her. By the way, Mary Crowley was an orphan girl raised in First Baptist. Had an idea about beautifying people's homes. And Don Carter, her son, owned the Dallas Mavericks for a lot of time. That's what I mean. Mary Crowley was a patroness for Billy Graham, for First Baptist Church. And when Mary and I went to see our son-in-law play in the Dallas Seminary Intramural League Championship basketball game, when I opened up the folder, Pastor Jefferson, we need to pray for First Baptist. But downtown Dallas is trying to reach out to the city. And Mary and I's very dear friend is on that committee. And that was what I'm talking about. Phoebe was a woman that became a patroness for the cause of Christ. And I want all of you ladies to realize that Paul did not demean women. He probably, there's a really good chance that this letter was given to Phoebe and she took it to Rome. The next couple is Priscilla and Aquila. Look what it says about them. Really quickly, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in the Lord, in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles. They're grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Priscilla and Aquila is a couple that we get to know in, they're on, in Paul's second missionary journey. We meet them at Ephesus. They are a couple that the Apostle Paul does tent making with. And then the Apostle Paul has to leave. And this couple take a great order who is from Jewish origins in the first century church. And Priscilla and Aquila have a dinner party with him. At the end of the dinner party, they say, Apollos, have you heard the rest of the story? And this was long before Paul Harvey, and, they, and, and Apollos spelled out to them, I've learned about John the Baptist, and I've learned about what John the Baptist is doing. And they say, well, John the Baptist just introduced the Lamb of God. Let us fill you on the rest of the story. And they told the whole story like the Gospel of Mark. And Priscilla and Aquila, very quietly talking to this great communicator, led him to a full understanding of Jesus. And Apollos went on to become one of the great, great proclaimers of Jesus in the first century. Priscilla and Aquila were kicked out of Rome. They had to go to Asia. They were with Paul in Corinth as well now when he's writing this letter, and then they, or, not, or, or in the past, and now they've gone back to Rome. And I want to share something with you. How many of you are going through hard times? The economy looks tough. How many of you have ever been expelled from your house? The government said, you're gone. You got to get out of here. You got a week and you're gone. Claudius, in during his empire in the late 40s, says all of the Jews need to leave Rome. And this very powerful tent-making business couple, having skins and other building materials and are working with, you know, making all kinds of things, clothes and everything else. They have, evidently, they have a big industry They've got to suddenly leave their large house in Rome. I know it's large because they have a group of people that meet in their home for church, like Paul's saying. They had to flee from their house in Rome. How would you respond? I tell you how I'd respond. This is not what Mary and I counted on. This is bad news. Jesus, you promised you'd supply all of my needs. You ain't doing a good job. So I'm going to take some really strong antidepressants, and I'm going to sit at home, and I'm going to watch soap operas till I die. 
Don't do that. Everywhere the Apostle Paul mentioned Priscilla and Aquila, they got kicked out of Rome. You know what they said? Great opportunity. Now we're in Asia. We don't know why we're here as far as business goes, but we know why we're here for the power of the gospel. And so they became part of founding the church in Ephesus. They become part of a movement in Corinth. Everywhere this couple goes, they ignite fires for Jesus. That's the kind of a couple. That's the kind of a person I want you to be. Some of you are going through some really hard time in business, and we're with you in this because we're a band of brothers and sisters. But the Lord wants to use those down times for you to see the power of salvation, the power of the gospel, to reach out to your friends, to reach out to people that are struggling with you. And the Lord wants everywhere to go, even if you have to pick up and relocate, the Lord wants you to be moving out for the cause of Christ. Paul, as you go through this passage and you'll read verses uh, 1 through 16, I want you to notice Paul talks about sisters. He talks about brothers. He talks about Rufus, who was probably the son of the Cyrene, Simon the Cyrene, that carried the cross of Christ. Simon had a son that it tells us about in the Gospel of Mark named Rufus, and this is probably him. But Paul says Rufus's mom was his mom, but the Apostle Paul says she was my mom too. So this is a marvelous chapter for you to get a, like a little snapshot into the church of the first century. And I want you to see the way they relate to each other. So they were sisters, they were brothers, they were mothers, they were loved ones. And the other key phrase through this whole 16 verses is they're in the Lord, in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you are my family because you're in the Lord. And I'm your brother because we're in the Lord. We've learned that the Lord has given all of us positions to play, gifts to play, and he wants us to work hard. And that's the final thing. All the way through this passage, I, I mentioned they are united in work for the Lord and with one another. What I want you to say is some of you, your life is falling apart. And I want you to listen to me as I close. Life hurts. Like I talk to you, you've often heard me talk about athletics. Like Tim, when he runs in marathons, it hurts, doesn't it, Tim? There's not a marathon runner. How many of you have run marathons Some, besides Tim? Anybody else? There's several of you here. Okay. Ask them, did it hurt? You know what all of you do as soon as it hurts? When your Sunday school class hurts, you leave. When your church family, like when your church relationships hurt, when it becomes hard, you try something else. When your marriages hurt, when it's painful, there's a host of voices that say, try something else, it'll be easy. I want to share something with you about life. Nothing that's worthwhile in life doesn't hurt. From athletics to mastering new skills on a computer to learning how to drive a speedway car, to playing in the Final Four. Last night, as I was taking Joel up to a, a bus in Dallas, Kansas was ahead by 26 points. And it was over. North Carolina bore down. You know what makes athletics so much fun? 
It's when the other team bears down. In basketball, we call it a run. If you've ever played basketball, it's really hard to figure out. You're just killing another team. Every shot goes in. Everything you do is great. And then all of a sudden, the basket becomes this big, and you can't get anything to go in. And the other team bears down. And North Carolina came within four points. Usually when that happens, the other team folds. It's like boxing. You give somebody a really powerful punch, and they're done. And North Carolina gave Kansas their biggest punch, and it hurt really bad. But they had one of their players on the Kansas team, the great big hulking guy, throughout this whole run, everybody else looks like whipped puppies, but this great big hulking guy just keeps enjoying the game. And he just keeps sweating. And he just keeps playing that game. And he, in essence, said to the rest of his players, by the way he played, it's the final five minutes. That's why we play basketball. And it hurts. And my lungs are burning. And my legs feel like they weigh, they're, like they're filled with a thousand pounds of lead. But we're going to play on Monday night. So if you guys want to go with me, let's do it. And Kansas went from only four points ahead to blowing out North Carolina at the end. That is a championship team. You are a championship team. And the fun of your life, the joy of your life, is when you work hard for Jesus. The Lord wants you to work hard, and then he wants you to celebrate with family love, like the NASCAR race. The Book of Romans had no church buildings. They just had a bunch of houses. They had no titles. They didn't have fancy titles. They had no seminaries. And they took over the world for Jesus. One household at a time. And so can we. Let's pray. I want to ask you, Lord, that as we read Romans 16, 1 through 16, that you would help us to recapture, because the same spirit that lived in Phoebe, the same spirit that lived in Priscilla and Aquila, the same spirit that lived in Rufus and all these other names that are strange-sounding to us, but they were well-known in the Roman church. I'd ask you, Lord, that you, by the power of your spirit, would help us to have the incredible joy of working hard in our marriages, in our extended family relationships, in Awana, in Sunday school, in child care, and in a million different ministries. And Lord, I just would pray that your spirit would breathe renewal and strength into some that feel that they've given their best punch and it still isn't working out. Help them to realize that that's when supernatural power is available. I want to ask you, Lord, that you would help us as a church family to see your spirit causing the roar, not of speedway engines, but the roar of the movement of the spirit in bringing resurrected life and that we would see many people reach for you and healed in Jesus and experiencing the power of salvation. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.